The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. And delighted to be uh, talking with you today. This is the 249th unique episode uh, of the show. We've been running for nearly six years now. And um, before we uh, start, uh, I'd like to just say a big thank you to my guest uh, last week. Uh, Phil N. Jones was talking to me about um, essential uh, selling skills to win more business. A really interesting guy, Phil, who's uh, working between various different countries and um, and is probably one of the top sales trainers these days in the world. So I would take a listen to that. Whether you're a salesperson or a non-salesperson, uh, there'll be some tips in there that will really, really help you. So today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to talk about category management. And I've got two uh, thought leaders on the show uh, today, uh, Lynn Prescott and Mike Dixon, who are going to really um, open up our understanding and thinking about uh, what is a very, very important subject in areas like um, fast-moving consumer goods, um, but also is, has lots of application across all sorts of different market sectors. So I wonder, do you offer a range of different products and services? And if so, do you manage them really, really effectively as business units and customize them to satisfy your customer needs? Uh, well, um, today um, we're going to talk about this area of category management. Um, let me first introduce Mike Dixon. Uh, Mike um, has a wealth of experience across brand and commercial leadership and shopper marketing roles. He's worked for fast-moving uh, consumer goods companies. Um, we call them um, FMCG businesses in the UK in a variety of senior roles. Seven years ago, he co-founded a growing agency called Melly UK that helps clients communicate to retail um, shoppers. Um, also, uh, Mike and I have some real history together because we used to work together in Mars, uh, the uh, confectionery um, part of the uh, business. And um, one of the great memories that I have is when Mike and I uh, both won a sales incentive. incentive and we found ourselves um, watching the World Cup in Florida in 1994 for our sales achievements, and we had an absolute ball, didn't we? Um, we did. We did. <laughs> And then also I'd like to welcome you to Lynn Prescott. Uh, Lynn has over 20 years experience in retail and FMCG, working in senior sales and category leadership roles. She worked also in Mars. So we've got a real Mars connection today and also Kellogg, uh, who make things like uh, Kellogg's Cornflakes yeah. and uh, those sorts of brands. Uh, Lynn set up European category leadership functions, reporting into the board. Um, so let's talk today about about how your products and services can better satisfy your customers and generate really astonishing sales growth. So I'm going to start this interview today by asking Lynn the question, uh, really to tell us a little bit about you know, what happened to you, Lynn, in your early life and 
how was it that you got interested in category <laughs> management and marketing and yeah. you know, what on earth are you doing doing what you do? Yeah, well, it, <laughs> it wasn't straightforward uh, because all my my young life when I was growing up, I was convinced I was beginning to be something in various fields of art. So first an interior designer, I looked at architect, I was fashion designer when I was eight. Um, so that all the way through my school career, I thought that was what it was going to be. And then I took an abrupt left turn after I started um, um, doing an art foundation course. I was in uh, the art college with a bunch of 16-year-olds who were welding car doors together and calling it art. Um, it just didn't strike me as the way I wanted to finish my career. So I did a complete flip and did a business studies degree. So I went from my creative to my sort of more logical one. Uh, and I went through sales and marketing and then really dropped into category management very early in the process. Um, and what I like about it is it, it's, it, it allows me to be creative because we're talking about future potential and possibilities. But it's on a solid base of analysis and data and insights. So it, I think it appeals to both sides of me. And uh, I first started, I think, in my second job when I was a retail buyer. I bought confectionery, which is still my family's favorite job for me because they used to get chocolate coming out of their ears. And, of course, if you're managing a category, the confectionery thing, it's all about classic category management principles, understanding your customer, understanding how you can grow the business and the various levers you've got to do that, whether that's brands or own brands, and uh, actually looking at how you're going to jump to meet consumers' needs as they evolve and what that will take. So uh, that's what set me on the route, really. Excellent. I'm also particularly impressed to hear how you were a fashion designer at the age of eight. I, yeah, and I had a bedroom <laughs> I was, I was full of design. Really? No, I was, I was drawing. <laughs> I had, it was all over my thing. I had, I had lots of great ideas. I could have been you know, at the next Jean-Paul Gaultier or something, but uh, uh, no. Well, there's still time. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, so how about you, Mike? Tell us a little bit about you. And um, and also, I know your, your big thing is shopper marketing. So how, how did you get into shopper marketing? Shopper marketing. So, um, so as Chris, as you mentioned earlier on, we met back in probably 92, but we're very fortunate to go to the World Cup in the USA in 94. And um, probably looking back then, what we did was about building shopper displays and making the brands to stand out well as Snickers as a brand. Um, so pretty early on, whilst I was doing a sales role, you know, how you influence shoppers and how you make brands or products step out to them and make a difference to a shopper was was pretty important. And something that I did both within Mars, but also in brand management and then more laterally working in uh, Mars Pet Care. So with the whiskers and pedigree brands um, within their shopper marketing area. And that's where Lynn and I actually met. So about... Mm-hmm. 12 years ago, <laughs> Lynn used to have the category function within Mars UK and I had the trade marketing function. Um, and about seven years ago, as you mentioned in the intro, we decided as a as a, comp- as a, a group of people, we would set up an agency focusing very much on category management and helping clients to be able to sell in category management to their retailers. Mm. So we've been doing that for the last seven years. Excellent. And do you have other interests besides category management? Well, um, so if you ask the family, they would say, um, I pretend I'm a bit of a farmer. So we've just had lambs in the last week, so late lambing for the UK, but um, we've only got three sheep, so it's not a massive amount, but we've had four lambs um, and we've got a few chickens and occasionally we've got a few other animals as well, dogs and cats. So yeah, pretend to be a farmer. There were pigs. Uh, there were pigs, last, but the pigs now in the freezer. The, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, gosh, was the same thing happened to the lambs? 
Uh, eventually. <laughs> don't, but don't tell my daughter who's a vegetarian and thinks they're going to last forever. Just keep, keep keeping the grass down. I was imagining you're having hundreds. You'd go to bed, you know, counting sheep. <laughs> get yourself off to sleep. Um, brilliant. So um, let's just start uh, really by you know, getting into category management. And you know, there's probably quite a few people here listening to this thinking, what is it? So what is it? Yeah. Okay, well, we probably need to say by understanding what a category is. A category is a group of products that are closely related to each other, which a consumer would use for the same purpose. So I, I talked about the fact that I was a chocolate buyer. Confectionery is a category. Laundry products is a category. Cars or maybe SUVs are a category. Um, and category management is about a process where you actually manage all these products together to meet as a business unit to meet consumer needs and to grow the overall category and deliver additional sales. It started back in the 80s um, in the packaged goods companies uh, with a formal eight-stripe process. And I'm not going to go into the formal process because, frankly, you can Google it and get a pretty good description about it. At the time, what it did is it helped retailers to see what role the various categories were playing in their business, whether they were driving traffic into the stores or whether they were actually adding profit and revenue opportunities and um, helped to define categories. And I say category definition is, is hugely important. If you go into one of the grocery stores today, you'll see anywhere from 40,000 to 75,000 SKUs, stock keeping units on display. And as a, a shopper, you are going to shop across 272 categories and you're going to do your weekly shopping in less than an hour, about 47 minutes, I think. Uh, so actually understanding how to break that shop and all those products down into neat categories, which ones should sit alongside each other, which ones are worth um, putting near the front of the store. That's a hugely complicated piece of business. So category management is about managing all these products to get the absolute best out of them in terms of growth and to meet consumer and shopper needs and make life easier for the shoppers. And you mentioned that 272 categories is that does that shift it's, that, so, it's sort of shift yeah what you get is you get some blurring as as yeah, as npd goes along and there are big trends so for example if, if we look at protein which is a big trend at the moment protein drinks they're popping up in about five or six different categories so they they appear in the chiller with oh. dairy and milk but they also appear in the sports section with drinks they also appear in the dietary supplements so there's a certain amount of churn new categories come along so things like probiotic yogurt that was a new category um and categories merge and and separate from each other's but generally we're talking about that level and the reason a lot of the time um, category definition is, is defined actually by data companies because we have to manage it in some way. Retailers have to know that. So you put them into about 270, 275 categories throughout the store. And that's purely supermarket because you started to mention things like SUVs and all those yeah, sorts of yeah, things. No, so there's, it, there's, there's, it, it, it's, category management started in supermarkets, but I think it has a lot of applicability in other areas, um, other forms of consumer goods, perhaps even services. Because at the end of the day, it's about making sure that the category itself grows and that more people find that category relevant and want to buy into it because that's the source of tomorrow's growth. Mm, wonderful. And I remember you know, from my Mars days and working in marketing, you know, we had these people uh, called brand managers and they, they, they did brand management. And I kind of wonder, you know, what's the, what's the distinction between 
brand management and category management? It's really one of focus. So if you're in brand management, you have a very limited lens. You're looking at the world through through your own lens. And your main metric is, is market share. Uh, which means you're looking at direct competitors and try, trying to take sales away from those. So it's really a win-lose scenario. So if your brand's successful, you do it by taking uh, sales and customers away from a different brand. Um, and there are two problems with that one. The first one is it's quite exhausting to do as a company because as fast as you take business away, somebody else innovates and takes it back. So it gets very expensive trading the same few bits of um market share uh, if you look at the the coke and the pepsi wars in the 90s so that's the first problem the second one is it's really not at all interesting to the retail customers because they're worried about the money to money through the till and they don't care whether it's brand a or brand b that does it and in fact uh, in brand management you can have sales of your brand increasing but not change the category sales at all so it's a win-lose um, category management, by the way, is a, is a focus on win-winning. What it says is, if we can grow the size of the entire category, if we can bring new people in or get the people that are spending in that category to, to buy it more often or get them to believe that we have met their needs better and that is worth adding more value to it, then everyone will benefit because then, you know, the rising tide floats all boats. Um, so, Actually, what you see in category management is it's something where uh, suppliers have a mutual end goal with retailers. And that makes it transforms the relationship, actually, because it makes it more collaborative. And just just to add to that as well, I think I think um, from a supplier point of view, in the past, you could go in, you could have a nice brand story. You could talk about what your brand NP was doing and a retailer would potentially say, yeah, I believe in what you're going to do and understand the support around it. And category was a bit of a nice to have. Now category is a, a prerequisite to a conversation. It has to be something you can show to them what's going to do, how the category is going to grow, and how your brand is then going to support that category growth. So it isn't it isn't a nice to have. It's now a real need to have from suppliers having those conversations with retailers. Okay, and it makes a big difference to what you do in innovation and MPD because if you look through a brand lens. Um, and you look at the the market, you focus on gaps in your own portfolio, which means that you end up creating me too products that somebody else has already created. Or you leave opportunities on the side because you haven't got a brand fit with those opportunities. And of course, what that happens is that leaves the opportunity open to be grasped by somebody else, possibly a market entrant. So I think having a category focused approach as a business enables you to see and grasp more opportunities than a brand approach alone. Mm. And just a, there's a question that I feel like right now that I need to ask you, um, and that is that you know, is it, is it you know, how responsible are people with category management? You know, we've got issues like obesity, um, and you know, growing a category might not be the right thing for consumers' health. Um, I just feel like some people might be listening in and wondering that right now. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I I think our approach on it is is because you start with what customers need Mm. in a category, uh, you can grow that responsibly. So, for example, we work in soft drinks and biscuits. They're not necessarily healthy products, but they're okay as part of a wider diet. So there are two routes. Firstly, you're talking about... um, growing it through responsible eating or drinking. And secondly, what it does is it accelerates the development to more healthy alternatives. 
So um, you can say, but of course there are some. I, mean, I wouldn't like to be doing category management in tobacco. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. a bit yes. difficult to yes. say that. And I think as yeah. well, a thing to add, I think um, most, most category developments and insight would come through various macro trends. So the clients that we work with will be seeing what's happening and what's going on in the macro world. So soft drinks, as an example, will know around what consumers are after. They know about health, they know about the challenges over there, and therefore we develop products within that category to be able to best meet those needs. So, yeah, we're, yeah. we're supportive of that. Excellent, good. Um, and I guess it also, you know, organisations like yourself, you mentioned that category, you can choose who you, which categories you want to work on, can't you? <laughs> you can to a certain extent, so extent yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, some of the most interesting challenges are the ones that you don't think. I mean, anyone outside of pet food would think it was a terribly boring category. Mm. And actually, it's filled with emotion and love, and it's one of the most interesting categories I've ever worked on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, on that note, we're going to go to commercial break now. Um, but after the break, we'll start to look at maybe you know, a bit about shopper marketing and start to get into some of the principles of category management so we can really start to understand that and maybe some of the things that we might be able to think about with our own sort of products and brands. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You were tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, Lynn Prescott and Mike Dixon. We're talking about category management. And before the break, we started to really define what that was. But I want to ask you a question as well, Mike. We we talked about the difference between brand management and category management before the break. But what's the difference between 
shopper marketing and consumer marketing. Let's get some of this, this terminology out of the way. Okay. So, um, Chris, con- consumer marketing would be, I guess, what a, what a brand team would do. So it's about communicating your brand message to consumers, which could be talking about what the brand stands for. It could be talking about getting share of voice. could be how people choose your brand versus another. So, you know, Lynn talked about Pepsi and Coke. It could be around communicating why people should buy into the whole Pepsi thing versus the Coke thing. Shopper marketing is a little bit closer to that moment of truth, that, that area where you actually make a purchase. And historically, shopper marketing would be do- something that would be done in store. So would be point of sale, would be uh, advertising, I guess within the US market would be around couponing. There's been quite a lot of blurring within the marketing field over the last few years. So the fact now within the digital format about marketing being on smartphones, people going shopping with their smartphones, digital, there's a whole blurring about where is the path to purchase. So people see a TV advert, they'll then see a magazine advert, they'll then walk outside of the store and they'll see some billboards. There's different consumer touch points and shopper touch points that shopper marketing is really focused on. I guess the key thing around shopper marketing is that point where you make a difference most people when they go shopping aren't thinking brand they're thinking what am i going to have for tea what am i going to get to go for the barbecue at the weekend all those things and shopper marketing is influencing people at that point of decision making that helps them from a brand point of view make the decision to buy your brand versus another brand so as lynn talked about in an average uk supermarket there's probably forty thousand products out there there's a lot of products trying to talk to people buy me buy me buy me so getting some way of being able to communicate to people in a simple way is key. Um, we know within research that we've done, other people have done, that most people when they're going shopping in the UK environment are on autopilot. They're not thinking about what they're doing. You ask them what they've done, they won't be able to tell you. We're just habitual shoppers and how we do that. And some of that is driven by learned mentality. Some of it is down to the psychology of how we work as human beings. And some of it is down to you take cues from colours and branding and whatever. So Behind shopper marketing is breaking it down to some simple messages that make a difference to help people to buy your products when you're in store. And it's an area that's grown probably over the last 10 or 15 years. And lots of clients now are spending quite a large sum of their overall marketing spend in the field of shopper marketing. Mm, okay. I was, I was uh, um, watching a, a talent show the other day. And um, and on that, you know, you see magicians sometimes putting subliminal messages into people's minds, and they come out with all sorts of, uh, you know, amazing information that they've kind of preconceived. You know, in, in, in shopper marketing, is this, is there some of that kind of psychology that's going on to help people buy things? No, or? I, 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 no I'm, I'm I'm not sure in that sort of sense. The interesting thing is when you look at shopper research, it's really. Um, uh, difficult to find out what people are doing because people don't know. So I'll tell yeah. you what they do in, in store and how they make their decisions. It sounds really good. Um, but when you, you, you go along with them and just observe quietly or you video them while they're doing it, it turns out to be something quite different. <laughs> uh, so it's a question of, in terms of shopper marketing, you have to look at how people behave, not how they'll tell you yes. what's important to them. Yes, yeah, so, so you actually, um, are you, people spending it, you know, hours and hours looking at CCTV cameras, are they? As Lynn mentioned, so within the world of category management, there's lots of data. Within the world of shopping marketing, there's lots of data. So there's lots of analysis to say what things are the best things to influence people at fixture. So whilst they don't know what they do, no. they are doing certain things based on yeah. what retailers and what brands are putting in front of them. So, you know, we know, for example, that there are, so there's, a, there's a toothpaste manufacturer who did a, a big piece of work 
where they looked at toothpaste was separated in two areas. You have toothpaste by itself on a fixture and you have toothbrushes on another area of the fixture. And actually, um, there was an opportunity to grow the category by getting people to have more usage of toothpaste and more use of toothbrushes. Yes. And by combining those two categories or these two areas together, the toothpaste with the toothbrush, with some educational display, with some information about how people can trade up, with all of the areas around toothpaste and its benefits, etc., they grew sales. So, you know, they grew sales within the UK market by 6%, I think in the Mexican market by 16%. So making relatively small changes mm. about how products are laid out in a store yeah. can have some beneficial input into the overall yeah. category and category you, sales. Uh, we've noticed this before, that, that, that signage will have, we put signage in and we look at the sales impact and it's had an impact. But if you ask a customer, they won't even tell you they've seen the signage. So if you say you're subliminal, I don't think it's as anything as manipulative as subliminal. I think it's more that shoppers really do tone out most of what they see. They tune it out. And um, there was a fantastic training video I saw with Sainsbury's shoppers being asked about whether there was anything different about the store. And in the videos, there was clearly a man in a gorilla suit <laughs> in the next yeah. aisle. Nobody mentioned the man in the gorilla suit <laughs> at all. <laughs> we don't need to play subliminal tricks. Consumers are well up to that themselves. And, and this is also extend to you know outside of the store. So I was, I was while you were saying that, I was thinking about I've got a, a broad electric razor, and uh, one of the things that I you know, I think is quite good about it compared to a razor that I had twenty years ago because I'm normally sort of wet shade, but I've got this razor, is that it has, you buy these pouches that you, you put into it and it, and it cleans the razor uh, because before you had to do it with a brush and they get all, and it, and it does it kind of automatically for you and that feels like a completely new category that's opened up. Well, yeah, I mean, great example. I think you can look in other categories. So we do a lot of work in the hot drinks area. So you look at the coffee area probably five years ago. So coffee was segmented into granules and then there were probably a higher grade of granule and then you had loose coffee and beans and somebody came up nest nest cafe came up with the idea of actually having pods so getting people to mm. trade and spend rather than 5p for a teaspoon of coffee to spend 20 30p for a pod mm. and you could say well actually that's not not good for the consumer to spend more but as long as the benefit the consumer gets from that product is worth it and they say well actually i can get a 30p cup of coffee versus going to Starbucks and spending three pounds on a cup of coffee yeah. and getting the same taste, that's growing the category for that for that yeah. particular manufacturer or that particular brand or that retailer. And I think that's that's a, a very good lesson for packaged good manufacturers because a lot of MPD is still around variant variation, you know, different flavours, different colours, different sizes. But actually meeting consumers' needs for convenience or less mess or portability. Uh, put things like packaging and genuine MPD much more on the table. So it's a question of thinking more broadly about meeting consumer needs. I think just as an example, I guess, for the listeners, so the, within the rice category, so rice, you know, fairly simple category to cook, pour it in, put some water, boil it, but actually a lot of people aren't able necessarily to get perfect rice from that. Microwavable rice came out, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, probably yeah. now, based on adding a benefit to the shopper, the consumer, of using a product which took two minutes to microwave, transform the category. Yeah, so you're looking to a supermarket now and there's lots of microwavable rice. Yeah. And actually from a category, grew it because you're going to charge more for that because there's more benefits to the, the consumer. I just, just going back to that pouches example, I kind of wonder with that category, you know, I, I used to quite like it that I could spend 30 or 40p on a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And then Starbucks came along, people like that increased the size of cups and suddenly started charging two and now 
three pounds and suddenly 25p for a pouch doesn't seem bad value yeah. um, but the, it feels like that's partly also been helped by this trend for uh, you know premium drinks becoming the norm yeah and and the experience because of course when you buy at starbucks you're not just buying the coffee you're buying the whole ambience you're buying the whole barista experience mm. which i personally completely over i just want to go and sit in the corner and have them bring it to me i don't need to see them make a cup of coffee anymore been there uh, but yes it's all about experiential now and that's um a trend that is happening more and more and bringing that experience back into even quite basic goods now i think is what we're talking with a lot of clients yes i think just just adding to that i think there's a danger probably in the retail world i'm not sure you know different markets particularly in the uk retail world is that supermarkets can become very bland places and they're all about stocking products and it's all about efficiency and in certain categories there's an opportunity to make it a bit more of an engaging experience and a bit more of a opportunity to spend some time there and understand yes. about different products yes. and and flavors and ingredients and actually having more of a, a an enjoyable shop so rather than necessarily a 42 minute shop you want to spend yeah. time there yeah. in learning new things and, and be bolder yeah. about the pricing and ambition we've, we've we're entering i think the third year of price deflation in, in grocery in uk um and the secret i think is to actually get add more value and premiums into the experience, not just keep chipping away at the value of some of these categories. Yeah, yeah I guess we're basically with competition online as well as like yep. that. People, people wanting experiences, Yeah. Uh, then it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, yeah I've got other examples I was going to mention, but I think we should move on because um, it'd be really good to understand, uh, we've talked a lot about, about FMCG and about, about sort of groceries, but are there other categories this is relevant to? Because there's a whole area of category management now. Yes, I think so. I, I think the reason it started in the packaged goods company, apart from the complexity of the shop there, is that actually it's a date, very data-rich environment. So it's a great in, uh, place to actually test theories out and hypothesize and actually get real data back. But the principles are the same. What it does is it places the shopper at the heart of the decisions. Um, and that is true for other departments. Well, you might always have a shopper, you might have a consumer, mm. but it's about understanding how to make life easier for them. Uh, trying to build into the shopper experience, having the right range, because we know from experimentation that too much range is actually paralyzing. And there is a, an optimal level of choice that you need to do about making sure that your product offer covers all consumer needs or price points about addressing barriers that exist to actually buying into the category in the first thing and to make the whole experience shopper uh, shopping sort of easier and more fluid. And I think everyone has experience of going into a shop that they don't know that well. And it's a big area. And you, whether it's a grocery or a bookstore or a DIY store, you've got maybe two or three different yeah. products that you need to find quickly and efficiently. And in order for a retailer to be able to deliver that to you, then they've got to understand what associations you're making in your mind, which products are grouped clearly together in yours, which are distinctly different. Where would you expect to find things? So if you go into a DIY store and you're after something as small as a bag of screws, where would you even start to look on yes. that one? Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure that the DIY stores are quite... No, no, I would really love a DIY customer because I have very strong opinions on how they should improve from a category management thing. Yes, uh, great great opportunity. I think um, one area that's really seems to have shifted as well is garden centres, you know, selling a few plants now, 
extending all over the place to all sorts of categories. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure. I think that's that's a great example as well. I and mean, when I go to a garden centre, I still want to buy uh, primarily plants and things associated with them. I'm not really looking for clothing, mm. which seems to be taking increasingly poor. But that's a different thing. That's a profit and revenue driven decision. Yes. It's uh, rather than a category management decision. Yes. But yes, it's about putting the shopper at the heart and helping them with a set of organising principles to be able to maximise the sales. So, so. Just, I guess, going back a little bit, just thinking about the, um, the UK market, which may be happening in other markets as well. One of the things Lynn mentioned there was about providing what shoppers want. So within the UK, we've had the growth of Aldi and Lidl. And what they've done, whilst they probably gained a lot of the start by having you know, cheaper products in very good quality and helped during the times of recession, what a lot of people now shop their environment for is that it's just easy. When you go in there, you know, you've got a choice of two or three different types of washing powder, two or three types of coffee. And actually consumers are getting used to and shoppers are getting used to that simple shop in an environment that they can get in and get out quickly, as well as the value that comes from that. So that's one of the challenges I think that the UK larger retailers are focusing on understanding, you know, what's their point of difference and how do they address that? Yeah, great. We've got three minutes till commercial break. And uh, this question might be a bit like describe um, explain the law of relativity but um, could you maybe just share you know one or two of the key principles of category management we can always come back after the break I think um, the first one is actually when you start to define the category be careful to define it in consumer shopper terms because you're supposed to be products that the consumer will see as uh, replacements for each other uh, and often what happens is people want to define them in a way that suits them better mm. but possibly because they've got higher market shares so they'll start to use product definitions as a category definition um, and that's not necessarily how shoppers see things so you know if, if you want for example uh, something sweet after dinner you might go to the confectionery category but you could go to the yogurt category as well um, so if you define it just in terms of product formulation, you're probably um, going to miss some of the broader competitors that your category is facing. You may miss the next opportunity. So category definition is a mm. critically important thing to get right at the start. Um, and as I mentioned on competitors, don't just think about um, your branded competitors and the direct competitors. Think about own label. Mm. And in some categories now, own label is the number one player. So you really need to understand how you as a company will play against that dynamic and what role your brands have in delivering against that. And also you might have competitors who are coming from the, the, um, from the side and are going to hit you because you're not even looking in the right direction. There are numerous examples of very well-established big market players who defined their competitive uh, structure too narrowly and missed things are coming up. So we talked before, I think in the break, we were talking about um, Polaroid cameras. Um, so yeah, if you, were, if you were Polaroid, what you completely missed was the whole digital revolution. Mm -hmm. In fact, nobody turned out to need film at all. What they needed was a way of capturing memories permanently. Yes. Um, so those are the two of the main things. And I think we can probably pick up after the break with a couple more. Perfect. Well, we're going to come back to you again in just a couple of minutes. We'll talk a bit more about about category management and the principles after the break uh, and also you know what's the future what's what's um, what's happening moving forward um, so we'll be back with you again do uh, join us after the break and we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes voice america business network 
the bottom line in business. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. And if you want to hear and find out more about the shows that uh, are coming up and the shows that happen, do go to chriscooper.co.uk. Do subscribe to uh, the newsletter, top right-hand side of the website to sign up. We just send an email out once a month just keeping you up to date. Now, we were talking before the break about some of the principles of category management. You shared two or three in terms of you know, definition was the first one. Um, what are some of the principles that we really need to be aware of, Lynn? Yeah. I think um, after we've looked at defining the category correctly, which is not too broadly, but importantly, not too narrowly, and using consumers to do it, and we've talked about defining competition right, the next thing to identify is what the barriers to growth are. Uh, So there will be a group of people who are either not using your category at all because they don't think they need it, um, or not using it enough, probably. Um, So... First of all, consumers may not know the category exists. Now, this is not likely to be true for many of the packaged goods companies we've been talking about. But if you're outside that of offering a broader range of products or services, the first thing is they may not actually know that that category is there. So it will never come to mind. Um, The next thing is they may know that it's there, but actually what you haven't done is persuade them that it has any relevance to their needs. You've not made the connection between what you can offer or what a category can offer and um, the problems or issues that they have or the opportunities they may want to grasp. The third one is actually, especially things, is they don't see it. They don't come across it. So um, um, if they're in a a store, they may not be able to find your um, product. 
So all the work you've done up to that point goes for nothing. They can't see it. And you may sometimes see, especially in new and emerging categories, that in their TV advertising, they will actually go as far as saying, find us here. So they'll tell you where to go. So, um, And then the final barrier is they've seen it, they understand it, it might even be relevant, but they don't think it's worth it. Now, that might be because they have budgetary issues, but it's more likely in most places that actually they haven't seen the value that your service or your product offers. So until they see that it's worth it to them, they're not going to pay the price for it. So you need to identify where your category is and what barriers are holding you back. Um, and then you need to think about what sort of change of consumer or shopper behavior you need in order to change or overcome those barriers and get them to buy into your category. And that's actually where you start talking about strategies. Once you've identified what you want consumers or shoppers to do differently, then you can start to develop category strategies that will change that behavior. Mm-hmm. And the important thing for category as opposed to brand is its behavior we're changing. So in consumer, you might talk about attitude a lot but I'm afraid we're very much more nuts and bolts and pragmatic we want more money so we want to change the behavior Mm. yeah one of the things um I can see from a you know a a big a big supermarket or or, you know we talk about DIY stores and that sort of thing all that stuff being really valuable one of the things that's going through my mind I remember Mike and I years ago used to uh, go and you know place ice cream freezers and things like that in independent mm-hmm. retailers as well as um, as well as um, theme parks and all that sort of thing. And what one thing that's really stuck with me was actually sometimes the the state of some of those independent retailer stores. Um, I remember going in one in in Cardiff and it was uh, it was not mine, Chris. Not yours. No, it was, I was a, a sales trainer and it was the biggest tip I've ever seen. And uh, they had uh, the, they had the the ice cream freezers full of peas and. Yeah. chips they had a bucket with their um, cigarettes in it and when I asked how business was he said my wife is so disgusted with the people around here she put this notice on the window and on the window it said if you don't start to use this facility it will be taken away from you <laughs> <laughs> so I think if you're listening and you've got an independent retail store it's also you know there's a lot of science that goes behind this whole area of category management and supermarkets and I would just I don't know what your views are, but I recommend that people take a serious look at how the shopper experience and take responsibility for it. And also, you know, think about how you, you know, enhance that place that people really want to be there and can find the products that they want. Yeah, yeah makes absolutely. Sense. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, so moving on from that, um, what's the future of category management? Is, is this, It was started in the 80s. Is it going to be something that's going to continue with us or is it just a... I- a 30 40 year fad i think i think it it will continue um and mike's mike's right that retailers now are looking for um uh simpler solutions perhaps they have and a way to way to make the complex more simple uh so category management will be there in whatever form and of course we're going online now increasingly category management is just as relevant there because uh, and it's a really interesting and evolving thing because mm. people shop in a very different way online. Mm. Um, we still want to see the choice. You can you. The problem is on online, you can have an enormously long tail of products, but people will still only stop for the top, shop the top ten to fifteen percent. 
Uh, and the challenges we have to do in category management is how do we get more value out of that sale? Because at the moment, the, the environment is not very stimulating for shoppers. So I think category management will continue to play an important role. But also, just, just to add to that, I think um, one of the learnings from online, that actually I think a lot of retail stores can, can learn from. So there's quite a trend at the moment online, so what's called optimised packs. So making the pack simpler to be able to get the key messages from. Yeah. So often online, a pack is a centimetre by a centimetre. And the key things a consumer or a shopper wants to get one online is around what's the flavour and how many bags, how many tea bags are in there or how many sachets can I wash from my personal washing up liquid. So they're going down and simplifying the packaging. One of the things that we're observing is that actually there's some trends on that which could then go into retail. So a lot of packaging probably designed by a set of brands team will be looking at maybe not from the shopper's point of view, but actually having overcomplicated packaging. So some of the online things could potentially be taken to sure to make it simpler. Yeah. And then the other area I wanted to talk with is about companies evolving into what we call category leadership now. Uh, category management is the practice of managing products. Category leadership is about getting a category focus running right through the enterprise. Mm. And the reason we do that is because it's a much leaner way of doing it. It takes a lot of hidden costs out. If you think about growing the category as one of your key measures as a company, it will start to change the way you think about things, the way you run your processes, the way you measure your business. And we're starting to work with clients now saying, what sort of company do I need to be to be a category leader and a thought leader in this one? And what do I need to change? It means you need to do different things to the way you innovate uh, and you need to be able to identify ideas that will grow the category and add value to the consumer and deliver additional value to the customer. And if it's not doing those three things, then don't do it maybe and save the money for something else. You need to be able to put category growth, uh, category plans ahead of brand plans so that brand plans will come from um, the understanding of what it's going to take to grow the category. So they're serving a purpose beyond growing their own brand. Uh, and you're going to have to look at business planning differently because this sort of thing requires more collaboration with some of your retail customers as well. So I think uh, category leadership is the next thing where you start to transform business processes, which probably haven't changed in 20 or 30 years. Uh, and one of the things I was doing when I was working at a European level um, with both Kellogg's and Mars was looking at some of these processes which have been designed around the needs of brands or sometimes even around the needs of the production facility <laughs> uh, and actually saying, let's put all of this um, this resource at the service of growing the category because at the end of the day, that's what's going to give us our future business. Mm. So that's a really important thing. Mm. Um and also it helps us to address some of the, the other issues we've got. So uh, the traditional brand model that was created in the 50s um, is no longer necessarily fit for purpose. Uh, what we see is a lot of brands were created around the idea of authority. And what we see is the newer generation, younger generations, absolutely rejecting any idea of authority. So you've got to find some way of working with them to overcome some of these barriers and to grow the category. So I think it's some really interesting developments ahead for category leadership. Mm. Yeah, I guess for some companies, a huge opportunity there, a big prize to be won, to be seen as the, the thought leader for the category. Yes. Yeah. I think the the bigger the bigger companies are already doing this. It's it's the opportunities for the other companies to do it more. Um, and as we said earlier on, it isn't a nice to do 
for lots of companies. You know, your first meeting with a with a buyer talking about a new product launch or what you're doing in your brand, they're going to ask about what's this going to do for the category. And if it's not going to do anything for the category and it's not margin enhancing, they don't want to know. So having that in your process and your planning before you get to your pitch to launch a new product is is critical. Um, yeah. It wastes, as Lynn said, it's, it's more efficient for the business. It's more efficient for the retailer. It's more joined up and collaborative about working with the retailer. And it's more likely that you're going to land a successful product launch and have a better ongoing relationship with that retailer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, <clears throat> I, I asked you, you, you both to come along today as you know, thought leaders around category management and you know, go-to people for category management support. So I'm really kind of interested to understand, you know, what Melly do for the clients and, you know, how you support clients. And, you know, we, this show is accessed in over 50 countries. So, you know, how would you support non-UK clients, for example? So on, on the first question, Chris, so, so the, the work we get involved in um, ranges from working with clients at this early stage when they may come to us and say, we need a really strong understanding of this category. You know, we need to know what our plans are for the next five years. Um, potentially, they are declining, they're losing sales, and they, this is a big business strategy, big opportunity for them. And we'd work with them at a board level, we'd work with them at a level saying, once we've come up with some plans, how do we then integrate that within their business? How do we then take that message out to their sales teams, their category, their brands team? How do we take the message to the retailers? And we do that in a, a logical and creative way. The logical way being is having the data, the analysis, the storytelling, the creative way is then saying, how do we make that really sing and really communicate clearly to a retailer? So it could be doing shopper videos, it could be doing virtual reality of what the store of the future could be, it could be around painting the picture of what the category could be for the retailer. So they they get it, they get the opportunity around that. So it's it's pretty broad where we involve from strategy through to execution. And then fundamentally we get involved as well. We went we've talked about shopper, but all these things are really nice to do, but if it isn't influencing a shopper to pick up a product that's going to benefit against their needs, it's a bit of wasted money. So we then end the process with how does that work for the shopper? What do they see either from a packaging point of view or from a display point of view? So they buy the products and enjoy the product. Mm. Interesting. I, I sort of thinking back to um, days when I used to run um, procurement sort of functions and uh, marketing procurement functions. I remember spending a lot of time sitting with brand managers, uh, you know, facilitating the process of pitches with suppliers. And, you know, what I, what I love about what we're talking about here is, you know, a very diligent approach to looking at the category and the, the, the vision and, and the customer. But in those, we're talking about 15, 20 years ago, but I seem to, I seem to often used to think that the ideas that were accepted uh, were based upon the gut feel of what the brand manager liked as opposed to what the the shopper maybe would yeah. want. Yeah. Do, do you still see that today, or is that less less and less? I would less say less. But you, you do have some robust decisions, but you know you've got the you've got the data to back that that up. Um, I think what's nice about our particular company, we say, is there are lots of um, agencies you will find out there that concentrate on one element or another. So they might focus on the strategy, but they've no idea how to make this actionable. Or they might be good at chopper marketing, but the ideas they're using on are not being tested, proved, and and um, put under pressure, so they don't do the strategy bit. Um, and what we enjoy, especially working together, is the opportunity to see it right the way through. We start with going into a company, interrogating the data that they've got, and drawing perhaps some fresh conclusions from it, bringing that into the strategy area, 
selling that strongly into the company and making sure they have the tools and resources to do it, taking it down to the retailer because it's right for the category, and then finally on to the shopper. So there aren't many agencies that go right the way through. One of the things I just want to mention, we've got three minutes till we need to end, but um, I know that um, we what you also do is you, you help non-UK-based um, companies to do category management in the UK. Because yeah, yeah. That, that's Correct. Yeah, and we've we've done it. Well, two two different sort of answers, I guess, about that. So, one with our existing clients is around helping them to, on a global basis, talk about category and taking category stories. Um, one area that Lynn works in is around the pet care area. So, do, how do we do that? The second part, though, is where companies are wanting to launch their products into the UK market, and they may have a product that works well in their market, and think actually we just need to transpose that and put it into the UK. What we do with them is say, we can be your experts on the ground to understand about the retail market and about the category, advise them around display, advise them around packaging. So an example would be one of the clients we work with that they want to launch a product in the UK, which they thought would work because it worked in Germany, but it wouldn't work in the UK because it just had things that weren't right for the UK market. So we're able to advise them early on in the process before they launch a product and failed what they should do to make it relevant and right and help them actually go in along to them with a meeting and selling the Tesco's on their behalf. Um, sort of that kind of full service package. Excellent. We've got one minute. And um, do you have a, a single sort of final message each you'd like to leave us with? I think that it would be for any of the companies that are still um, doing the brand model that you should think more widely about the category model because it's a more collaborative win-win process and it's likely to give you better results. Excellent. Mike? Yeah, I'd say I'd urge people to think about the shopper. So just put yourself in the shopper's shoes. And when you're looking at a fixture, how does the product look in your category of the categories? And think about that less so than think about the consumer. Fantastic. Well, I've loved talking to you both today. I think it's been a fascinating show and insight into category management. I hope you've enjoyed being here today. Yes, it's been good. Good. Well, um, on next week's show, uh, we're going to be, so I just want to give you actually MellyUK.com. So if you want to find out more about um, about these guys and the great work they do, go to MellyUK.com. That's M-E-L-L-I-U-K.com. And I should also just mention next week's show is actually my 250th. Um, so I've been doing this show for uh, getting on for six years soon. So uh, what I thought I'd do is I thought I would... Um, so consolidate some of the key lessons and learnings from all these amazing people I've had the privilege to talk to over the last uh, few years and just share some of those wisdoms that I think will help you to um, elevate your thinking and elevate your business. So hope you do join us again next week. And uh, if you have any comments, thoughts, do uh, send me uh, information and, and ideas and uh, your feedback to, uh, to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Uh, thank you for listening. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 